to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. Chad, I wanted to talk about this little article that you sent me about mm. this church service in Nuremberg, Germany, that was almost entirely crafted by ChatGPT. Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, it didn't get great reviews, did it? No, it didn't. <laughs> uh, one person said it has no heart and soul, which seems obvious, but... Yeah. <laughs> it does seem obvious. I think, you know, you sent this, and I opened it, and I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, oh, here we go, more people trying to do this. You know, or I was expecting the article to be more like, oh, it was amazing and it's going to change our work forever or something. But I think all of the quotes here, at least this is in US News and World Report, these folks were not fans and just pointed to, you know, it, it wasn't human. It doesn't have any uh, emotional capabilities. It's reading its own material in a very uh, monotone way there's no feeling or experience or connection there and that it also doesn't really represent the faith well because it's kind of searching through the materials that it's been trained on and then taking let's say the average of them which ends up being kind of nothing right if you reduce the faith to points of the broadest agreement then it seems like all you kind of come up with is God is good, which I don't mean all is like, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not interesting and it's not a sermon and it's not uh, something that might immediately inform your life and practice. And so it's taking the most common features that it finds and throws that into a sermon. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, basically, because it's not, it's going to look at the more interesting things and consider those abnormalities, basically. So it's looking, as it does with other questions, you might ask it for things that there are broad consensus on, which is also the issue about it being wrong about some things, because you could look something up on the internet and get, not you could, you often do try to look something up on the internet and get a wrong answer. Um, But if it sees lots of sources pointing toward that wrong answer, it will answer with a great deal of confidence. Yeah. Okay. Um, But it doesn't have the tools or not yet to distinguish between sources or kind of compare different areas of knowledge, you know, to get the best answers on things. Yeah. So the experiments that I've seen as far as asking chat GPT to write a prayer or a hymn or a sermon is it ends up being very just bland, middle of the road, kind of nothing stuff yeah. and very redundant too. Well, because if there's nothing to say and you have four verses to say it, then you just repeat it. I <laughs> repeat suppose. It. Interesting. Yeah. But that's also a reflection of what's out there and what's available on the internet. And doesn't look like there's a whole bunch of really great 
representations of Christianity out there either for it to choose from. Maybe the other issue. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's just going to pick up on some of the the pro- human problems that we are inherent to the interwebs <laughs> because humans are involved. Mm, I think one issue is that it doesn't actually have a creative capacity. Mm-hmm. It has the capacity to replicate. Okay. Yeah. You know, so it's mm-hmm. not, it's making something that may seem new, but it's really a remix of, of what it's already found out there. Um, yeah. It's not doing original research, <laughs> so no. to speak. No. Creative intuition, none of that's at work. Well, another point to bring up about this particular service was they didn't just have chat GPT write the material they also had ai deliver it yeah using avatars yeah so that would be another barrier as well so you have this kind of already impersonal not very descript uh, material in the liturgy and then you have a monotone computer voice delivering it as well let's just imagine they work out all the kinks and it's great it, it delivers top-notch sermons. The liturgy is on fire. And so and we can just imagine that there is this worship setting where people go to worship and it's all delivered by AI. Is that a problem? I mean, here's my intuition about that. And we can work through it. But if, And maybe this is just our tradition, but the, the folks who are leading the service, whether it's a reader or a pastor, they're also members of the body. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, um, I'm just going to make this up, a spiritual stake in what's happening themselves. Mm-hmm. Presumably, they are connected to the divine that they are worshiping, and they're experiencing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my first intuition about having a service completely done by AI. There's a, what am I trying to say? Here's what I'm thinking. I have an inclination to go in that direction too. And to say something like the function of, let's just say the function of preaching, maybe kind of limit something to that. But if the idea is to represent Christ to the assembly, to proclaim the word such that the word is made present, it seems as though a a connection or knowledge of faith in let's say that word would be necessary um, Mm -hmm. for for preaching at least as a sacramental art but then i wonder if i'm not starting to sound a little donatist (laughs) (laughs) there certainly isn't a corollary between the faith of the person preaching and their ability to preach or communicate the faith i mean i don't I could think of plenty of people who are pretty good preachers who like are also not great people, you know, or or very fine rhetoricians. And I may not know whether or not they really believe what they're saying. And I know some other people of very, very deep faith who don't aren't good communicators. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So on the one hand, it's a proclamation. I think that's important. But you would think if you're proclaiming Christ, you would believe it. But of course, you're right. It may not be the case at all. And yet, 
whoever's listening or whatever might still profit spiritually off what they're saying, regardless of the, the person saying it. I don't know. I wonder if the bigger, maybe the bigger issue is that the one proclaiming must have some kinship to the audience. Be of the same species or something? <laughs> well, I mean, relatability, experience, emotional capacity, you know, I, I, I might, I might be more inclined to, to move in that direction. I mean, just the ability of, you know, the, what you can say, how you can relate to a body that you have experience with, that you've worked with and journeyed with, that kind of assembly as opposed to, you know, a one-off somewhere mm -hmm. where you know you better not like try to make even like a little joke because it might not communicate, you know? Maybe this is just a good critique of the whole preaching event. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> because, I mean, if, if, if you're leading a study group or something, and these are people with whom, you know, you share your time and you're part of the community and they're part of the community and it's a discussion group, I guess that could still be run by uh, AI, but maybe not as effectively. I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess if, if we're only thinking of that as like knowledge transference. If it's just knowledge transference, then you're right. Functionalism is all that matters. A, a, a bot can do that just like a human. Right. But that's not what it, presumably it's about. It's about being part of a community and, and serving a, a particular function in that community. But as a community member who has a stake in, in the community itself. It's just a different thing. But yeah, if it's just about transmitting information, computers, maybe they could get or artificial intelligence could get to the point to where, you know, we're out of the job. Well, <laughs> thank goodness the job isn't just knowledge transference. That's right. right. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. If it's to promote love of God and love of neighbor, the computers can't do the love part. Right. Of either of those, right? I mean, the computer is just a program. I don't know if people need to hear that. <laughs> it's encryption all the way down. Turtles all the way down. There's no understanding there. There's no agency, desire, will, goals, unless it's programmed into it, obviously. But not the desire and, and will, but the goals are obviously going to be programmed into it. But sure. it's not. it doesn't have agency and it's not aware of its own experience in the world. Maybe that's the angle around um, that love of neighbor presumes love of self also. Love of self presumes self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. The ability to be aware of my own experience and then equate the experience of others with something similar, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't like to go hungry. I bet that person doesn't either. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. How good do you think it could get? Uh, Meaning, is there, I mean, is there a limit to what AI can do as far as replicating yeah. the human experience? I mean, I guess it can do pretty good at replicating the human experience. Uh, not the human experience. I don't want to say it can replicate mm -hmm. what it, it can simulate what humans might do. The famous Turing test, Alan Turing, 
1950, he's asking the basic question, can computers think? And for him, he's thinking a computer can think if a person cannot distinguish between a computer and a human, right? If you can't distinguish which is which, is which say talking to a computer or a human online, if you can't distinguish between the two, then the computer is thinking. This is, is kind of his position. And so the Turing test is uh, kind of a game. Like, can a computer imitate a human? And if so, it can think. So one, one version of the game is you have one interrogator, human, who asks questions of two participants. One is a computer, one is a human, that the interrogator can't see. So asking questions, they're giving answers. And then the idea is the interrogator asks questions and tries to guess which one is the computer, which one is the human. I think that's similar, at least to what he developed. But the basic idea of the Turing test is if you can't tell what you're talking to online is a computer or a human, then it's thinking. The computer is thinking. Certainly in the 70s and 80s, it was common, at least in cognitive philosophy, it was kind of popular to think of the human mind as a kind of processing system. Mm -hmm. So that if a computer can process information, it is a mind. Mm. Um, go ahead. So like you're going to say something. I, I'm jumping, I'm jumping ahead of you. <laughs> I think I, I was going to say, I mean, if that's true, I've heard that before. And actually in something very similar caused me like a little bit of a mini crisis in like second <laughs> grade, because it was like, well, my brain's just a computer. What's the point, uh -huh. you know, kind of thing. But if that's really how our brains worked, humans would be so much more predictable, wouldn't uh, we? Yeah. Or yeah. how would we account Maybe. for the fact that people could react so wildly different to the same experience? Right, to the same input. Or even, yeah, the same input. I mean, even tasting the same food, things like that. We, I guess you'll say that's a, a hardware malfunction <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, we know that people can be in the same room for the same event and see and mm -hmm. even recount the event entirely differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, process that information in, in wildly different ways too. Yeah. I mean, one of the underlying ideas of this kind of thinking of minds and computers is close is what's called functionalism. Mm. Um, you know, and the idea is if the computer can carry out the same function as a human mind, that is, for instance, processing information, then it is a mind. It's just simply operating through a different kind of system. Mm. As long as the output is the same, then the function is, is the same, and therefore it's the same kind of entity. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't think we can reduce, I don't think we can reduce the mind to processing information because right. what about understanding, right? Mm -hmm. um, presumably computers don't understand the programs they're doing in the sense of they're aware. They're just, it's just a program. It's just an algorithm right. going through the steps. And also, I mean, I definitely don't think we can reduce uh, that, that the, the computer's ability to process information is not even close to identical to the human experience of being aware of oneself, conscious of oneself 
as an agent, you know, having will, intention, goals, who experiences the world in a particular way. I mean, processing information is just one aspect of the human cognitive experience. But at any rate, that was kind of the idea of the Turing test. Um, in 1980, uh, philosopher by the name of John Searle developed a Chinese room thought experiment. Um, and his position was computers don't understand. They don't have minds. They're not conscious. And so to show that, he said, you know, think of a computer that uses a program. It can take questions written in Chinese characters. And using that program, it can produce answers written in Chinese characters, all of which are intelligible and coherent to someone who can read and understand Chinese characters, right? So Searle distinguished distinguished between two kinds of AI, strong AI and weak AI. Strong AI would say that computer understands Chinese characters. Mm -hmm. Weak AI would say that computer can simulate the understanding of Chinese by using a program. Mm -hmm. right. And of course, his position is going to be weak AI. So here's the thought experiment. Searle imagines himself, and Searle does not understand Chinese characters, okay? He imagines himself sitting in a room doing the same thing as the computer, um, using pen and paper in a program just like the computer does. Someone mm -hmm. sticks in a slip of paper through the out input slot with Chinese characters. He goes through the program. He writes out the answer, again, in Chinese characters, and puts it out the output slot. Now, of course... He He's doing the same thing as that computer is, but he does not understand Chinese and neither does the computer, <laughs> right? Um, and so that was his little thought experiment to kind of draw out, to distinguish, you know, this important cognitive function of understanding versus just processing information. Mm -hmm. To your question, I don't think computers are ever going to be anything more than algorithms programs, no matter how well they can imitate human responses or human activities. I mean, there's just a fundamental distinction. It, it, there's a certain way it's like to be a human. And the only people, the only people, the only entities that know what it's like are humans. Uh -huh. There's this famous paper uh, by Thomas Nagel. Uh, the title of it was, what is it like to be a bat? Um, you know, the kind that flies around. Yeah. Yeah. And he, the basic argument is, you know, we can know all kinds of things about bats and we do, right? We know their behavior patterns. We know they use echolocation. We know they eat bugs and so on. Insects, I mean. But we will never know what it's like to be a bat because mm -hmm. we don't have that conscious experience. Now, there is a bat-like experience that only bat know, bats know. Right. And so consciousness again going back to the ai there's something that it's like to be a human that that's just not going to happen for computers <laughs> yeah. yeah i think a lot of people think that we are further along with ai than we are right now because the user interfaces actually are becoming easier Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, so things like, you know, assistant devices, like the uh, Amazon devices, the Google 
devices, you know, seem to have, they have a particular voice mm-hmm. and seem to have a particular personality. You know, chat GPT answers questions in the first person, yeah. right? As though it is a, as though it is a person or yeah. a specific kind of entity. And we're given to anthropomorphize things. Uh, but you know how we relate to the world as humans is searching for other humans right i mean particularly things that we communicate with we do that with our animals Animals. and our pets too right but um but the fact that they really are as you're reminding us like calculators that are (laughs) getting fancier with more and more information at their disposal and higher processes but they're only returning what we're putting into them either through those prompts or the information that we've fed to them and through the programs that we've written for them yeah yeah and in that way they actually reflect more on us as their creator than as some other entity yeah that's right which is what makes maybe so frustrating to me breaking it back to this church service you know when the chat pt became gosh and to think this was really only like a couple months ago months ago yeah people started accessing it and playing with it but you know i'd seen some of the clergy groups and stuff people being like well i, I asked it to write the sermon and look at it and i was like it's awful <laughs> you know that they were like so pleased and i was like it's just bland it doesn't say anything you know it's yeah. just like jesus jesus came to save and spread goodwill and have a great week and uh. like that's uh we didn't get anywhere with that and pro- and some of that has to do with you know, you the you get better material the better your prompts are, mm. but you still aren't you still don't get good stuff because it's looking for kind of the lowest common denominator really of the information that it's been given. Yeah. Uh, to return, which really the shocking thing to me was some of these terrible. I don't. Maybe that's not fair to say terrible. See, how about truly boring, <laughs> truly nothing, <laughs> uh, sermons and prayers that it was spitting back and that people were excited about or something was like, oh, that means that the bulk of what's out there really is truly boring and <laughs> terrible that it had Milk to drive. Yeah, that it was pulling from. And then what is your body of work, sir, that you thought this was like great or interesting? Because- my goodness but i think we have a tendency to to equate function mm-hmm. and speed part of what's kind of shocking of chat gpt is that you know it just starts spitting out paragraph after paragraph of yeah. you know things that we would have to labor over probably yeah but if we labeled labored over it it would be good um, <laughs> as opposed to what it's giving but I think we're all too easily mistaking that for intelligence. Because it processes the information so quickly. Yeah. Or yeah. expertise even, you know, and reminding, yeah. no, it's just processing information. Yeah. Yeah. As you're reminding us, it's not, 
thinking and it's certainly not creating. No, uh-uh. not at all. Which is leading me to, you know, wonder about questions about kind of the Imago Dei and what is uniquely human. Yeah. Um, because it's in those places that it's showing itself to fail in some way to yeah. replicate something about humanity that it can't capture. And one of them, you know, you've mentioned is this self-awareness uh-huh. right? or a consciousness you yeah. might consider, but it does it's not capable of thinking about itself. Yeah, right? self-reflection, right? It doesn't have desire, it doesn't have intention. It's not gonna care about us. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna love us. I guess if we reduce the Imago Day to the ability to process information. Well, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's both humorous, but also there's a large swath of the tradition that, and the Protestant tradition in particular that has done that, right? I mean, that thinks of rational mind uh-huh. as the ability of intellect. Yeah. Um, when, Without the rest of, let's say, Augustine's Trinity. Right? Yeah. But really only thinks of that as, well, and because that same tradition also values kind of a disembodied mind, a, a mind that's absence of sensory experience, because that's not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. And then that mind looks starts to look more and more like a computer then, because it's absent of anything else that could affect it of all the things that we don't trust about ourselves and each other and the world. But without those things, then yeah, it is just a computer. Yeah. Right. I mean, cause then, then that, if my mind worked that way, then I would have the same breakfast at 8am every day with just the right calories. I mean, you know, like that's. So long as you had a good program in there. (laughs) But yeah, no, yeah, I'm with you. Well, you know, when you and I did that podcast on the Imago Day, we covered there's so much more than just the ability to reason. Right. Um, that we should probably think of as included. Do you think it's fair to say that whatever it is that an AI is capable of doing must necessarily then not be the Imago Day? Yeah, because there's no awareness. There's nothing there. It's not a person. You know what I mean? Yeah, but okay, so what I'm wanting to argue is if something that's inhuman Mm -hmm. can do a particular process or replicate some part of what we might otherwise consider the human experience, if something that's not human is capable of that, could that thing still be considered Imago Day, or would that take it off the list automatically? I don't know. I'm because I'm thinking about those kind of early arguments, or well, they continue. But I mean, you know, Augustine begins his search, let's say, for the Imago Day yeah. by talking about what distinguishes us from animals, right? Yeah. And so saying those kind of base desires for eat, sleep, procreate, whatever. Mm-hmm, that um, all animals share. Yeah, that so that can't be Imago Dei because it's not mm-hmm. particular to humanity. So if 
an artificial intelligence can do something, then it's no longer particular to humanity, right? And if it's no longer particular to humanity, can it be Imago Dei? The only thing it would eliminate is the ability to process information it's unaware of, which isn't even, well, I guess we do that to some extent. Well, I'm not speaking particularly of what where AI is now. Okay. Well, what would it ever do that more than that? I don't know. I don't, I don't. I mean, it's always. Some people seem to think like it could at some point be self-aware. I don't buy that at all. It's, that's what I, that's why I say it's, it's algorithms all the way down. It's never going to become self-aware. How would it? I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean, because we don't even know. know. I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. But, but we don't even know a thing hardly about consciousness. So. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I mean, the idea, I think people who. <laughs> Yeah, the people who I mean, want to. I don't want to gloss over that. The fact that we still know so little about our own little. minds and how they work, right. and that the and the part where they're more than synapses. Yeah, and so those who want to say that eventually computers will become conscious are pretty much assuming that the more uh, information and input it can get, but it has to have sensory input, which I don't know. But, I still don't think it's going to happen, but there will be some who argue it could. But you're going to have to have sensory input, embodied experience. I don't know. Can something but, be human that's not embodied? Oh, this, this leads to that question, kind of, yeah. that you came up with. That's such a hard one. It's hard because we're so intimately connected to our bodies that we don't even know what it's like to have an unembodied experience, mm-hmm. right? But our bodies, every one of our bodies radically changes throughout our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, my body is not the same body I had when I was a child. So, and the other thing is, you know, certainly as Christians, we kind of tie it all together. That personhood is not just our conscious experience. It's our embodied conscious experience, right? Yeah. But presumably... Or just go going with resurrected bodies, they're going to be different. Yeah. In some important ways. Yeah. Um, I don't know where to take that, but it's not going to be the exact same body. Can't be. These bodies are corruptible. They're, you know. Right. Or at least it has to be incorruptible and, you know, unique to us. I mean, I kind of think of spiritual bodies, it's an embodied state, but it's, you know, it reflects who we truly are. But at any rate, I mean, just thinking strictly in terms of um, from a Christian point of view, what was the question? I don't know. So our current, okay, our current experience mm-hmm. is bound by our bodies. Yes. I wish I could say this in a way that didn't sound negative because I don't think embodiment is as, as being, being negative. negative. But it's also because of our bodies that our consciousness is finite right? in some way. Is also experiencing sensory information from a particular time and place. In the <laughs> world to come, will we be bound like that? Because when we're thinking about... I'm, in a negative sense? No, yes. 
I mean, we're going to be embodied. The only unembodied spirit is God. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I guess I'm thinking about the way that those bodies are different. Oh, I'm not supposed to be thinking about this. Why? Well, because we'll also have the capacity to see God in as all in all, too, which is sounds seems like an infinite experience. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's basically two schools of that thought. One is you're satisfied and basically perfect. The other is it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Better and better and better and better forever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It seems like we can imagine a disembodied mind. At least I can imagine being in a different body, maybe. It's weird because we're, we're tied to the body we know, but it doesn't seem like we're necessarily tied to this particular body. I mean, clearly people experience themselves as different than their own bodies, right? I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. I mean, anything. I legitimately, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. I can't fathom it. When I'm asking whether a disembodied mind could possibly be human, I would like the answer of that to be no, frankly. I don't see how it could be. Yeah. Of course, you know the old brain in the vat thing, right? Well, I don't. <laughs> okay. So it's a thought experiment that this brain is your brain, let's say. It's put into a vat, all kinds of electrodes hooked up to it so that you experience this world exactly as it is. Right. You feel it, you hear it, you taste it, you smell it, because all the right things, all the right synapses are firing off. Um, so as far as your experience is concerned, you're Charlotte in this world, going about your thing, doing a podcast, talking to Chad Song. But in reality, you're just a brain in the vat with a bunch of electrodes hitting off at the right places to make so that you have that experience. That would be a disembodied brain but still experiencing it as if it's embodied now i don't know i mean if anything the one, one thing that thought experiment kind of affirms is that our experience is embodied if it's really going to be me i'm going to have to feel it and see it and taste it i guess i don't know i'm, I'm with you i would say no different bodied maybe i mean we assume post-resurrection we're get, our bodies are going to be different but we'll still be people. We'll still be humans. I was thinking about if you put my brain in a cat, would I still be a person? <laughs> <laughs> but there you were with the perfection of the resurrected body. <laughs> well, okay, let's go. But would with, I be a go, human person I, if, I if, I, so. if you could transfer my mind to you'd, an animal? You'd be a cat person. Mm, I'd be something holy, new, and wonderful. But see, when we do that, that makes it seem like humanity is essentially our bodies. If we say if your brain was put in a cat body, you're no longer a human. Was that Yeah, saying? that's not good. That's not right either. Is no. It? So I think the part of the difficulty here is reducing ourselves to individual components. Right? The, so no. Yeah. Either the body or the mind. Yeah. Then the yeah. fullness of ourselves, right? Yeah. Because the body must be, or enfleshment, enfleshment, essential in some way. Yeah. I mean, I'll just argue from 
the point of the incarnation, right? I mean, if Christ is to be fully human, then what well, yeah. parts of humanity? What was needed for Christ to be fully human? Did he just need a body or just a mind or just a soul? No. Right. He, had to, he had to have all that. Right. So I asked you last night, like, what if you kind of sh ship a theseus a person? At what point would they cease to become a person or would they ever? Meaning if you started replacing parts of a person with bionic parts, mm -hmm. how far could you go? But I think we decided the same thing, that the problem there is reducing people to yeah. parts. But I know you could replace my arms and my legs. Yeah, yeah. If I had bionic arms and legs, would I no longer be Chad? No, I'd still be Chad. What if I had a bionic brain? And I kind of last in my response to you last night, I kind of took took the functionalist route. I said, look, so long as it all functions in such a way that my there's continuity between my experience pre-becoming bionic and post-becoming bionic, you know, and I still have agency and consciousness and understanding, you know, there's continuity there, then it's still me, bionic. In flesh, Chad and bionic Chad are still going to be the same Chad, but with a bionic body instead of a flesh one. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's kind of where I was going with it. But it has, you know, it's conscious experience, unlike the computer, which is just doing a program, just going through an algorithm. In order for flesh Chad and bionic Chad to be the same Chad, I would have to have continuity. It would have to be me and me be aware of it being me. You know, still have my same. What, but the question was, would I still be human? But gosh, I don't have a, but I'm still embodied. That's a hard one. What if the bionic parts removed your corruptibility? Fantastic. <laughs> I guess now I say that it's fantastic as long as I'm wholly oriented to the good. Yeah, we don't, we don't need everlasting evil walking around or, you know, foolishness yeah. or spiritual immaturity. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to last forever and be unchristlike. I don't know. I think that would just that would wholly change who one was. If you knew you were no longer corruptible. Yeah, which I guess is the response all of us who have been baptized into Christ. <laughs> be taking on <laughs> i mean that's the promise right that yeah. death doesn't actually kill us that yeah. we don't need to live in fear fear but just out of pure love because there isn't anything to fear there's nothing to separate us from the love of god and so we should be acting in the truth of death having no power over right. us and so we don't have to strive against other use them to get what we want because it's not like we're going anywhere. Right. Well, I ruined that discussion. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it'd be totally different if like you didn't have to be scared of dying? <laughs> like, yeah. You mean like the heart of our faith? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you'd be like a little changed? Maybe act a little different in the world. <laughs> Do you want I to wrap so. it up with a special? So this week, kids, 
to let yourself be replaced one by one with bionic parts. No, I think we'll just let it, I think we'll just set it there with, <laughs> I just accidentally reinvented Christianity. Yeah, <laughs> as a thought experiment. <laughs> That'll be fine.